Kia ora and welcome to the Kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is my daily podcast that goes out with my daily email newsletter for paid subscribers to the Kaka, which is a Substack. Today I wanted to look at three news items that I think say a lot about New Zealand's long-run strategy of skimping on infrastructure and public service spending. Today, we've learnt that Wellington has not been fluoridated, its water supply has not been fluoridated, for most of the last year, and we didn't know. Wellington Water's fluoridation systems are old and decrepit and have been failing progressively over the last couple of years, to the point where Wellington Water wasn't confident enough about controlling fluoridation fluoridization levels that it reduced the amount of fluoride going into the water and then last year essentially stopped putting fluoride into the water without telling anyone. Now this is a scandal, the mere fact that uh, people weren't informed, but secondly of course it essentially moves costs to somewhere else, all in the aim of reducing debt. So Wellington Water is uh, run by the Wellington Region's councils who progressively have looked to reduce their infrastructure uh, bills for water over the last 30 years and now it's all coming home to roost. You may have heard elsewhere in the country of course that Wellington has a particular problem with many of its pipes reaching the end of their lives and progressively cracking and bursting and failing. All because, uh, essentially, the assets were sweated uh, with a actual policy of running them until they broke. Uh, this, of course, was much cheaper than investing in entirely new infrastructure and also, of course, uh, meant that Wellington, along with many other cities, has not built the water infrastructure necessary to deal with extra housing supply because, of course, the extra new house you put on the either the edge of town or sometimes even in the centre of town will require heavy investment in pipes. Many councils have now moved to loading up all of the cost of that new infrastructure into the development contributions that developers must pay and they, of course, load that up completely into the house price at the margin. So it shouldn't be too surprising that house prices, which of course are effectively a function of how expensive it is to build a new house at the margin, that is um, extremely high, in part because the cost of infrastructure, which previously was subsidised by the taxpayer at large in the years before the late 1980s, that is no longer subsidised by the taxpayer at large and is put all onto new housing supply. And that's partly because councils do not like using their own balance sheets to invest in long-running infrastructure. When I say using their own balance sheets, I mean borrowing. Because borrowing uh, for long periods, for long-lived infrastructure, makes sense. It effectively smears the long-run cost out over a long period and means that the users of that infrastructure over many, many, many years are the ones who pay for it um, as the debt is serviced and eventually repaid. The problem, of course, is if your focus is completely on keeping debt low 
and keeping interest rates now very low, then uh, you are focused on not spending on that infrastructure. That sort of made sense back when that model was uh, developed and adopted by Treasury, the Reserve Bank, and of course uh, both main political parties, when New Zealand's population was seen as stable. And the prevailing view is that we had over-invested in infrastructure through the 50s, 60s, 70s, and into the Think Big years under Rob Muldoon. That didn't take into account the unleashing of migration through the early 2000s and then again after 2010, to the point where New Zealand's population growth has been the fastest in the developed world uh, over the last decade, aside, of course, from the uh, COVID years. Now, all of this has come home to roost in three news items. Firstly, the announcement from Wellington Water that it uh, has completely failed to fluoridate the water supply, which of course means that uh, teeth quality will be much poorer in the region and it will come out in higher dental and health costs in the region over the years to come. It was a shifting of costs from taxpayers at the local government level to taxpayers at the central government level in the form of effectively a future liability in dental costs, not to mention other health costs. The second example is Transmission Gully. Now, I know this is all very Wellington-focused, but it is a really big project, which hopefully most people have heard about now. It was a public-private partnership set up under the previous national government, the whole aim was to drive down the price as low as possible at the start of the process and then load up the risk of um, extra costs in maintenance down the line or blowout costs in construction. Load that risk onto the private developers and let them use their balance sheets to effectively uh, raise the capital to pay for it. It was all designed to avoid the government taking on debt in the wake of the global financial crisis and the Christchurch earthquakes. The whole mantra of New Zealand's financial apparatus, Treasury, Reserve Bank, government, is to aim to keep net core crown debt somewhere around 20 to 30% in the long run. To use that very strong balance sheet, very low debt, uh, to cushion the blow of natural disasters or global financial disasters. And that's happened twice in the last 15 years. 2008-19, when the government uh, reacted to the global financial crisis, not by cutting spending, but by ensuring that uh, welfare spending continued on and also that there was plenty of infrastructure spending and not just in Christchurch, but in other parts of the country during that uh, global financial crisis, which was good. Uh, but the aim is always to, as soon as the crisis is finished, is to get that debt back down again to create what politicians of both sides have called a rainy day fund. Now, this um, effectively, I think, is a false economy because what it does is it starves public infrastructure of funding, debt funding, uh out into the future in the long run and stores up huge future liabilities which when they're not measured can come back and bite you on the bum big time and that's what's happening now both in water infrastructure in housing costs and also uh, in our health costs 
So the other piece of news today was from the hospital system, and in particular, a Waikato DHB emergency doctor saying that people are now being treated in the hallways in hospitals for longer than 24 hours, which increases their risk of dying. That, of course, is uh, under the pressure of uh, COVID hospitalizations, which hopefully we're not too far away from the peak from. Luckily, uh, because we, our hospital system would have been completely overwhelmed if we had pursued a different COVID strategy. And that's because there has been 30 years of systematic underfunding and attempts to starve the system of growth. It means, for example, that our public health system is much less uh, well-resourced and um, produces less services and has poor quality than uh, than uh, what we see, for example, in Australia with the public health system and also in the UK with the NHS, which is a uh, purely public health system. And that skimping, that continual drive to keep the size of government around about 30% of GDP in the long run and to keep net debt around 20 to 30% of GDP has starved our health, education, public infrastructure, and by extension, our housing market of the investment it needed over the last 30 years. The best example and the best illustration of this actually came in an Auditor General's report into council finances in 2019, which I've included a link to in the email and which you can see clearly in a couple of charts that I've included. The Auditor General did a clever thing and worked out uh, how much councils had included in their accounts for depreciation and how much they were spending on investment. Now, um, for those of you who understand um, how profit and loss and balance sheets and cash flow statements work, um, the whole point of double entry bookkeeping and the idea of having a balance sheet is to understand where you're effectively stealing from the future or stealing from yourself when you under-invest in your infrastructure or your, your assets. So, for example, you can make your profits look very good in any one year by not uh, uh, including depreciation in your accounts. You can also make your cash flow look very good if you are not uh, um, investing uh, to account for that depreciation. It's a very simple thing. Like any asset that you own, it will have wear and tear and you need to invest back into that asset to offset the wear and tear and on occasion uh, replace the asset so that you've still got it there. And councils over the last decade up to 2019 were only investing between 63 and 65% of their depreciation uh, recorded. And also, um, of their long-term plans for infrastructure, they were only actually delivering about 80% of what they planned. So councils over the last 30 years have systematically underinvested in infrastructure to keep their debt low. That's partly because uh, ratepayers don't like the idea of debt, and they certainly don't like rates increases, and because, in an overall sense, uh, Treasury and the way that our uh, local and central government financing arrangements are set up are designed to keep council debt low as well as government debt. And you can see this through the creation of the Local Government Funding Agency. It's a collective funding arrangement whereby Treasury uh, borrows on behalf of 
councils to keep their interest rates low, uh, sort of pools all the borrowing together with a single um, credit rating, and certainly bond markets like it. But what it's meant is that, in effect, Treasury has driven down the potential for uh, councils to use their own balance sheets to borrow for infrastructure. Now, as it turns out, if that's convenient for mayors and councils who are continually appealing to those people who want low rates increases and who don't like the idea of higher debt. But also it means that the government uh, doesn't have to worry anymore about councils over-leveraging and, in effect, dragging down the collective credit rating of the country. Uh, this is all um, focused on the uh, pressure point in our local government finances, which is Auckland, which has the fastest um, population growth and therefore the biggest infrastructure spending needs. It, it has jealously, obsessively protected its AA credit rating by not borrowing, for example, uh, to prepare for climate change or to um, ensure there are enough houses built in Auckland to keep house prices down. And uh, in the process, um, one of the arguments for that is that if it did borrow more, its credit rating would be cut, and that, that this would therefore cut New Zealand's sovereign credit rating. Why should we care about all this? Well, the lower your credit rating, the higher your interest payments. And of course, if you're a government, you want to keep taxes low, in our case, income taxes, but also have no tax on capital gains or wealth. And secondly, you want to keep interest rates low, because low interest rates... Uh, will increase the value of your personal assets. And so you have governments of both colours, Labour and National, for 30 years have run a policy of low government debt, low government spending to keep interest rates low to inflate house prices. And that has led to a situation now where we have underinvested in infrastructure and created future liabilities in terms of health costs, uh, in terms of high housing costs, which are now coming home to roost. In the same way that when you run your own business and you don't invest in your assets, at some point the assets break and your business is in crisis. That's what New Zealand faces right now. Wellington, unfluoridated. Transmission Gully, two years behind time and almost double the cost. As well, we have a health system where people are spending 24 hours lying in corridors because we didn't invest in the infrastructure or the staffing. And emergency doctors saying the system is at breaking point because we haven't invested in the salaries of nurses and doctors. To the point now where the opening of the borders is actually more of a risk for New Zealand in terms of skilled staff leading for much higher wages in Australia than anything else. We've built an economy based on low wages Low, inf low interest rates, low inflation, at least up until now, all designed to inflate house prices, capture leveraged, untaxed capital gains, get, elect get politicians re-elected every three years on the promise of ever lower tax cuts and spending control. But all it's done is stored up future liabilities for the taxpayer in the long run. Unfortunately, Treasury has not properly costed these future liabilities in the balance sheet that it reports every year in the budget. And I would like to see Treasury more accurately price in 
the true costs of the underinvestment in infrastructure for the last 30 years so that we can have a clear-eyed view about what this low-tax, low-debt government, both at a central and local level, actually mean. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was the Kaka, my daily podcast, brought to you in uh, connection with my daily email newsletter. Kakite on now. I hope you have a great weekend. And thank you, of course, to our paid subscribers who support the work that I'm doing as uh, in doing my explanatory journalism, accountability journalism on housing affordability, climate change action and child poverty reduction. Kakite anō.